So a little bit about me. I, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, both my parents were Christian school teachers for 40 plus years, and uh, I didn't really have a choice. I was going to Christian school. Um, good and bad, but I was a, a very uh, sensitive kid. So for me, uh, I don't know about you, but like socks felt weird and tags on my shirt felt weird. I was just overly sensitive, but I felt things very, very emotionally as well. But I was two and a half months premature, so that kind of messed up my growth cycle, so to speak. Anybody watch Family Matters, Steve Urkel? <laughs> White version, uh, 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 middle school, had the pants up to past my belly button. I looked at a picture yesterday with my mom and dad before we moved. I'm like, Mom, why did you let me out of the house that way? She's <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm like, well, thanks. That didn't help out a whole lot. Uh, but I got to middle school of glasses, braces. I was awkward. I was tall and lanky. I was falling over my feet. I was saying stupid things at the wrong time and all this kind of stuff. But we know that kids can be unkind, right? Yes. And uh, hit 12th grade, middle or not 12th grade, 12 years old, middle school, almost middle school, 6th grade uh, into 7th grade. And the wheels fell off. Uh, I would go to school um, in the fall, and I'd be beat up and made fun of and stuffed in lockers and swirlies and trash cans and uh, called names. And in some ways, the, the things they called me were worse than what they did to me. Uh, in January of that year, I contracted a migraine headache that lasted nine months. And I didn't know, right? So I, I was in a lot of pain. My mom and dad did what they could. They took me to a neurologist and you know, spinal taps and blood draws and EKGs and all the kind of stuff to figure out what was going on. And they couldn't figure anything out. Everything came back negative. And the pain was so bad that in April of that year, I wanted it to end. And I chose uh, what I thought was the only way out and uh, attempted to take my life. See, when you're in a dark place like that and you don't think there's any hope, the only option is that, right? And we have a lot of people in our world that don't know that's not the only option. But I didn't know. And after that, it really shook, obviously shook my parents. We were in the hospital. I had my stomach pumped. And uh, the neurologist in his wisdom, thank God, goes, hey, Larry, my dad, I don't think this is physical. You might want to go see a Christian counselor. And we started on that journey to a Christian counselor, and I was able to begin to put words to my story. See, when, when bad things happen to us, the way that God designs us is he's protected us, that our brain actually turns off the language part so that we can survive. But when we come out of that survival piece, we don't have the words to put to what has happened to us. And so we need people to come alongside us to help us make sense of things. And so I had this Christian counselor that would walk with me and begin to go, hey, you know, you're, you're saying these things. Maybe you're feeling this. I'm like, yes, for the first time somebody gets me. And my dad was able to come in and go, you know, the way he was raised, stop being so sensitive, you know, man up, let's get through this. He began to realize that I didn't have words to put to my story and began to create this narrative of what had happened to me. And I began to heal. And from that point, my dad and I have had a great relationship Right Before then, we, we missed each other. But he became that person that I could go to and talk to and, and, and be with, and it got me into a place of healing and hope. So here's the thing. I think when we are stuck in our mental health issues and we don't have people speaking alternatives to us, we think that's the only way it is. I'm here to tell you it's not. So let's look at somebody else that felt that way in scripture. Uh, if you want to turn with me, I'm reading out of the Message Bible, but we're going to look at 1 Kings 19, and we're going to read verses 1 through 18. And I'll read from the message. I like the message as a devotional just because it, it tells a story. But if you remember, uh, back in 1 Kings 18, Elijah just had this amazing moment on Mount Carmel. Remember what happened on Mount Carmel, right? He was called up there to kind of fight so to speak, the um, prophets of Baal and prove whose God was real and powerful. And if you remember what happened, not only, I, I love in some ways the sarcasm of this, right? He didn't only just make an altar, which was what we did back in the Old Testament, you know, to sacrifice a spotless lamb. That happened before Christ became the spotless lamb on the cross. But 
the sarcasm was he, he made an altar. He built it up with rocks. He put the sacrifice on. Then what did he do? He soaked it in water. He's like, watch this, guys. This is, this is going to be pretty cool. And he prayed. The prophets of Baal were cutting themselves. They were chanting. They were doing anything. And nothing was happening. And Elijah says one prayer, and a fireball comes down. And not only consumes the sacrifice, what happens? It consumes the rocks and the water. God showed up. So we're thinking, okay, if that was us, we'd be like, yes, I've served this powerful God. But look at verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab reported to Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the massacre of the prophets. Jezebel immediately sent her messenger to Elijah with this threat. The gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. Okay, that's, that's pretty scary. Um, Elijah saw how things were, and he ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He, was, he left his young servant there and went on to the desert another day's journey. He came alone to this broom bush. I don't know why I say broom bush. If you look it up in the, uh, on the internet, these are big trees. But he collapsed in its shade and wanting in the worst way to die. I'm like, wait a second, dude. Like, were you just not on Mount Carmel? So he's at this place where he's like, I, it's enough. God, enough of this. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep under the lone broom bush. Suddenly then, an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and to his surprise, right by his head was a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate his meal and went back to sleep. The angel of God came back and shook him awake again. Get up and eat some more. You've got a long journey ahead of you. So he got up, ate, drank his fill, and set out. Nourished by that meal, he walked for 40 days and 40 nights. Must be a powerful meal. (laughs) All the way to the mountain of God of Mount Horeb. When he got there, he crawled into a cave and again went to sleep. Then God, the word of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? he says this, he pours out his heart. I've been working my heart out for God of the angel armies. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go and stand on the mountain before God, and God will pass by. Remember, this is before God incarnate came in the form of Jesus. So this idea of God passing by, remember what happened to the Ark of the Covenant in uh, if somebody reached out to touch it, to steady it, what happened? I mean, they immediately die, right? So this is not just a, a simple thing that's going to happen here in a minute. This is a pretty powerful thing. And so a hurricane, we know what that, you know, well, you know what that's like. I'm not sure. I'll, 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 I'll learn what that's like. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but God was not in the fire. And after a fire... A gentle whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with a great cloak and went out to the mountain cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, so Elijah, tell me what you're doing here. Elijah said again, I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies because the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left. And then God goes in and tells him what to do next. Because I think this is a perfect picture of what it looks like, one, to watch somebody struggle with something mentally, but also it's a perfect picture of how we should show up. So let's break that down for the next couple minutes and talk through this idea of when all hope is lost. So the first thing I want you to understand is that when depression comes in, it does one thing. It clouds our picture of reality. It clouds our picture of reality. We look and see what happened with Elijah. Like I said, he had just come off the mountain. These great things have happened, this mountaintop experience, and he quickly forgot it. Stuff got hard, stuff got difficult, and it clouded his picture of reality. Guys, when, when things happen to us, when our fight, flight, or freeze mechanism is turned on, it takes the power away from our thinking, and it puts it to our survival. So what did he do? He ran. But he ran with a cloudy mind. Our thoughts begin to spiral. They don't make sense. They, they, they begin to tell us things that are not true. And this is an easy way for the evil one, for Satan, to come in and to begin to twist and change the story. And look at what he did to Elijah. You're not safe. 
You better run. You're all by yourself. Look at the narrative he created for himself. I'm the only one left. What kind of, you know, again, we can look at this and judge, but in the moment, like what kind of faith did Elijah have? God just showed up on Mount Carmel, the God of the angel armies, and he says, I'm the only one left. He had no idea that he was preparing Elisha. He had no idea that there was a remnant of 7,000 that he had saved for him that were going to begin to change the course of Israel's history. But he was stuck in that mental fog. He was stuck with the here and now. Just like my story, I couldn't see beyond my own pain. I couldn't see beyond my own struggle. What was in front of me is what was I was dealing with. And I, it was almost like you're a little kid in a crowd. You couldn't see beyond what was going on, you know, the open fields, the hope, and that kind of stuff. And so his emotions take over. That's what happens to us when we allow our depression to cloud our judgment of reality. Our emotions take over. And we'll talk a little bit in a minute that emotions are not bad. They're just indicators. And so what happens when we allow our emotions to take over, when we allow this fight, fight, or freeze mechanism to kick in in our body, what we do is we begin to introduce stress into our lives. The way God designed us is stress is supposed to propel us forward to fix something and move on. But if stress is kept on, this idea of cortisol, if it's kept on in our bodies over time, it begins to deteriorate our bodies. And now we have low levels of inflammation that's introduced into our bodies and we start getting sick. Not just our depression or anxiety, now our body gets sick. And we get colds easier, we get the flu easier, things get struggling. And we, in some ways, begin this spiral that just continues. And we, unless we have something that stops it, we continue to feel like we're going down this drain. And if we also look in verses 3 through 5, we see that depression causes us to want to give up. Look at verse 5. He goes, leaves his servant, runs to the desert, flops himself down under a broom tree, and says, enough, God. I want to die. Right? He had just, again, this is not like weeks, months. This was days after Mount Carmel. He gets to a place where he's given in to his mental fog and his emotions, and he just wants it to be over. Hope is gone in that instance. And that's the intensity of mental health sometimes, is we, we have these good moments, and then it seems like everything is falling apart, and we can't remember or can't see what was once there. How many of you know that the intensity of our emotional experience can be overwhelming, right? It can be overwhelming if we're in it by ourselves. Here's the thing, guys. Our emotions are indicators of something deeper. It's like the check engine light on your car, right? How many of you know if the engine light comes on, you probably should take it someplace to look at see what's going on? Now, here's the thing about some of these cars, right? Some of the new ones, I don't know, but some of the older ones... All you had to get was the check engine light, right? You know, that could be like, you know, I don't know, anything, right? And so would it be wise for us to open up the hood and take out the battery and try to change the battery cables and, you know, then change the windshield wiper fluid and then change? Like, we'd be there forever if we don't know how to work on a car. But if the check engine light comes on, we go someplace where there's somebody else that has an outside perspective thinking, help diagnose what's going on. This is the same thing with our emotions, right? If we stay within the confines of our emotions, the way I experience emotions might be different than the way Josh experiences emotions. Not making one bad or one good, it's just different. But if I'm stuck in my emotions and that's all I know and all I see, I'm gonna start lying to myself. Okay, again, emotions are not good or bad, they're just emotions, they're indicators. It's what we do with them. And so what Elijah did is he ran. And he wanted to give up and he wanted to die. And that circumstantial evidence in that moment was his truth, even though it was false. And so we need somebody to come in alongside of us and speak truth into our ear. And we have the truth right here, the truth of God's word. We need to know God's word inside and out. Because when we are in a place of despair and wanting to give up and nothing's making sense, clarity comes from only the word of God. And what did he, and then one thing I noticed just this morning as I was looking at it, he didn't take his servant with him. What did he do? He told the servant to stay. And guys, loneliness, isolation can create a deeper divide. 
It might make sense. I don't want to be around people. You need to be around people. Right? And sometimes we could be around people and feel lonely. Well, you're around people and feeling lonely because you're not engaging the way that you need to be engaging. I want you to hear this, guys. Loneliness creates isolation. Isolation will eventually create death. So no matter what you're going through, even though if it doesn't make sense to you, you need to be around people that love you and love Jesus, even if it does not feel like that's the truth. You following? In verses 6 through 15, we see that depression is a journey that needs to be engaged and managed. Okay, so here's the thing. What did, how did God show up to Elijah? He didn't come up into him in, under the broom bush and say, dude, what is going on? Were you not just on Mount Carmel? Did you not just see me show up? What's your problem? How did he show up? I think this is funny. My wife and I think this is hilarious. You can use this. He told him to take a nap and have a snack. <laughs> Twice. Nothing's changed since little kids, right? Your kids are cranky. Like, give them a snack and give them a nap and they're going to be okay. Like, that's how God shows up for Elijah in those moments. It's like, dude, you're not thinking straight. You're in mental fog. You, you need some nutrition. Guys, this is good for us to hear because I think sometimes we want to swoop in and take care of somebody's problems without taking care of their needs first. Okay? So somebody shows up to your church and they're struggling, you're not going to go, well, are you praying enough? No, you're going to go, hey, how can I take care of your need? Do you have food? Do you have a place to sleep? Do you have people that are praying for you and loving you? Now, then we'll talk about some other stuff. I love how God shows up. Guys, there are a lot of false narratives about depression in our world right now. And some of them are this. It's the way it's always going to be. That's not true. Now, for those of us, me included, that struggle with chronic depression, I have to change my mindset about it. Is it the way it's always going to be? No, it's going to be better. But I have to step into that story and engage that story and move through that story. It may never go away this side of heaven, but it doesn't have to be always that way. Right? And there's another lie, too, that we can't do anything about it. So just, just deal with it. I early on in my career realized that I am not Mark Mayfield that, struggle, that has depression. I'm Mark Mayfield that struggles with depression. Yeah. See the difference? Yeah. And so the beautiful thing about this story is God didn't allow, he took care of Elijah in the moment. He didn't allow Elijah to stay there. He could have just kept on feeding him and tell him to take a nap under the broom tree, but he goes, no, get nourished. Go on this journey to Mount Horeb because I'm going to meet you there. Guys, confronting what we are dealing with and engaging in our own journey out of it or through it is so important. We'll never get over it. Don't ever say that to somebody. We'll get through it. Amen. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil for your rod and your staff that guide me. I love that passage. I almost think sometimes as I look at that passage, okay, did, did he lay us down by still waters and in green pastures in the valley of the shadow of death? Because if he did, what a beautiful picture. We know that he set our t a table for a, a lot of courses, which I'm learning down here. You guys like to do a lot of courses. <laughs> I was at Pastor Josh and Lindy's house last night and had a great food. But it is something that we realize that we're not maybe going to be taken out of our circumstance to be given the tools to thrive. We might stay in our circumstance and be given the, the tools to survive and thrive, right? So we got to engage and confront. But guys, here is what I want you to take away, and then we're going to do some really good question and answers. But I want to ask you, when you're struggling, are you looking for God to show up in a flashy experience? Right? I remember, how many of you remember youth camp, right, or mission trips? And you had these just hilltop moments where God is showing up. The spirit was just, just really close. And so amazing, and you get back to life, and you're like, where'd that go? It didn't go anywhere. We were just paying attention to the emotions. So a lot of times, we're going to look for God to show up in a miraculous healing experience. Let me heal, tell you this. I have seen those happen, and they will happen, and they will continue to happen. But oftentimes, that's not how he shows up. He wants to show up in a way that equips us to walk with him versus him coming and just rescuing us, right? So... Man, Elijah just saw him. I love the contrast. Elijah just show, saw him show up in a flashy way on Mount Carmel. 
And then God shows up in a completely different way on Mount Horeb. Could have been the hurricane. Could have been the earthquake. It could have been the fire. But I, 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 I recognize that our English version of this does not capture the beauty of how he actually showed up. I have a friend in Tel Aviv, and we were talking through this, and he goes, Mark, do you understand that when it says in your English version that God shows up in a whisper, that's not really what happened. I'm like, tell me. I want to know. He goes, what it says in the Hebrew is that God showed up in the stillness of his stillness. So think about that for a minute. And I'm like, okay, so I just finished a, another book, and I'm writing about this story in this book, and my editor goes, okay, you got to explain that more. I'm like, dang it, how do I explain that more? Like, English words don't allow us to go deeper. So I said, okay, it's almost like there was no division of where God started and Elijah ended. God showed up in that space. And it was sacred. Guys, when we are walking with people that are struggling, it's not about them joining us on our journey. It's about us joining them on theirs. Guys, and when we sit with people, what are we doing? We are representing the very thing that God did with Elijah. We are entering into the stillness of their stillness. Now, obviously, this is complex. Obviously, this is going to take work and take effort, and you've got to protect yourself and your family and your heart and your mind and your boundaries. But when you do that and when you know who you are and whose you are and your purpose, you are equipped to sit with people in their struggle and not let it become yours. There's nothing in here that said God was going to take on what Elijah was dealing with. What did he do? He sat with Elijah in the stillness of his stillness and said, hey, what's going on? And he let Elijah talk. And I love it. He didn't, he didn't respond. He just let Elijah talk. And then I love what happens next. We see this in verse 16. What happens next is he goes, okay. Almost like, I'm, I'm almost picturing this where he's like, okay, you good? You good now? Anything else? Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to come off the mountain. I want you to go to um, Hazal and I want you to meet up with Elisha and then the remnant and set off the ministry. Sometimes that's all we need, guys. Sometimes that's all we need. We need somebody to sit and listen to our story, not to judge, not to change, not to shift, but just be a vessel of listening. Do you understand that our brains and bodies were designed for connection and relationship? And we know just through scientific study that if some, I was telling this to, to your staff yesterday, uh, a re recent research um, out of Harvard was saying that 98% of those in the oncology ward had unforgiveness and stress. When I, my dad was in the hospital, uh, he almost died two years ago from a botched cancer surgery. He was in the ICU. And I noticed, I was in the ICU with him, sit, I spent five or six days and nights just by his bedside, reading scripture over him, praying over him. He was on life support. And I noticed just something. The people that walked out of that ICU were the people that had somebody show up on a daily basis. The people that didn't make it out of the ICU had nobody show up. Guys, our presence has power. Just like God's presence had power with Elijah. I don't think we recognize that the God that lives within us is the same God that met Elijah on that mountain. And we have the power of his presence to sit with people. And I, don't, I think if we were to recognize that power, guys, this world would be changed. So I'm going to encourage you today to really understand this idea that our presence matters, and by our presence we provide clarity, and clarity clears confusion. So for those of you that might be struggling, I'm going to encourage you. The first thing you need to do is to pick your head up. If that's all you can do, that's all you can do. But pick your head up and confront what's going on inside you. All you might be able to do is to text somebody, hey, I, I need you to come over today. If you get that text, go over. Right? Maybe after church today, you're going to pull somebody aside and, hey, can we grab coffee this week? 
Can we go get some lunch? I just need to talk. That's maybe all you can do because that's all you know what to do right now. Pick your head up and ask somebody for help. Guys, when we pick our head up, we begin to start noticing that things are not what they are or what they seem. We see them for what they really are as we bring people around us. Don't be like Elijah and allow your present circumstances to dictate how you react. Guys, we have the bigger picture. We have the narrative. I'm glad you didn't have that narrative. We have the narrative of God's faithfulness from Genesis to Revelation. We know how the story ends. And we know that death is conquered, sin is conquered, and we have victory in Jesus Christ. For those of you that are struggling right now with anxiety or depression or some other mental health issue, know that you may find small victories this side of heaven, but the true victory has already been won for you. And when we get to the side of he- other side of heaven, will we truly, truly see how God has followed us and walked with us? I did this yesterday with the staff, and I thought it was kind of fun. But um, I'm going to do it, just, just demonstrate it. It would be too chaotic to do it with everybody. Um, but this, the way God designed us, guys, is that he created us as beings of energy that reflect his glory, down to our cells. Our cells put off energy. So this is a, a tool that I, I did this with 1,700 youth in a, in a youth rally once, and, we, and it worked. Uh, but nothing's happening, right? It's conducting energy. Uh, Josh, Judah, you want to come up real quick? Okay. So this is just a, a cool visual. Okay, nothing? Nothing? Okay. Grab my hand. Other hand. <laughs> Grab your dad's hand. Now, will one of you let go? <laughs> it still works. So, it, again, just a visual about the fact that being created in the image of the triune God means that our presence has power. And so if you don't think you have anything to offer your friend who is struggling, maybe you don't word-wise but you do presence-wise. Grab a coffee. I'm going to say go for a walk, but it's too hot outside. Don't, don't, don't go for a walk. Grab a coffee. Grab a frosted coffee from McDonald's and, and just sit and talk. Um, but guys, if we all did this for somebody in our life, what would that do to the greater Jennings area? What would that do to Louisiana? What would that do to our nation? If we could just sit, even if we disagree, especially if we disagree, let's sit. Let's pray. And we'll go to our question time. Father God, I just thank you so much for uh, just the, the heart that you have for your people. Lord, I think sometimes we get so blindsided by our circumstances. So we can turn on the news and get totally sideways based on what's going on in our country, Lord. And I pray that, uh, that we would be able to take a step back. That we would be able to recognize that you are the author of all of creation, and you're not surprised by anything, whether it be nationally or whether it be in our own stories, Lord. So I pray that we would have the courage today to either say, hey, I see you, I recognize that something is going on with you, and I know that you're struggling, what's going on? Or that we'd have the courage to say, hey, I'm struggling, I need to talk to somebody. Lord, we know that you are the same God that showed up to meet Elijah, And we call upon you to meet us in the stillness of our stillness. In your name, amen. 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 Come on. We're going to take a minute. How many enjoyed that already? We we could just leave and be good. Um, But around here, we like lawn yop. So um, a little extra. So we're going to... We're going to dive into some practicality things here. You know, a lot of what we're walking through is, of course, spiritual, but it's also psychological and physiological, and there's so many other things that are there, and and many of you have asked some questions. We have way more questions than we have time to go through, but we're going to try to get through as as many of them as we can, but also spend 
the adequate time that we so need with each one of these. Shouldn't be long-winded. So no, I mean yeah. it's up to you. This is your stage. So I'm, I'm going to put a couple. We'll put some of these questions on the screen, and you can um, you can follow along with us. But the first question is this, Dr. Mark. They've asked this question. How do you? We'll put it there. How do you explain the difference between depression, anxiety, OCD, and other mental illnesses, and the sin that others believe mental health can be? Okay, so I'm going to just say this out loud, and I might make some enemies here, but that's okay. Maybe not here, but I have in the country. Uh, mental illness is not sin. Yes. Period. Yes. Now, with that said, I was talking about this last, last, yesterday, is that we all have a gravitational field around us of sin, brokenness, and spiritual warfare, right? So sin is our choice, and sometimes there's consequences to our choices, right? So I, I believe that that we could make some choices that might lead to bouts of depression or anxiety or different things like that, but it's not a direct result of, you know, like you're not praying enough, you're not reading enough scripture, that kind of stuff. Um, but then there's brokenness, right? There's the, the result of the fall. And I always tell people that if we believe that sin entered the world in Genesis, it not only infected our mind, it affected our DNA, right? So if it infected our DNA, there are things that are happening in us and to us that maybe are out of our control because it's how our DNA is wired at times. And so to come in and tell somebody that they're sinning because they have anxiety is like, you know, telling somebody with cancer, you know, what'd you do? Like, you look at scripture, you look in the gospels, and the, the apostles did this all the time. They're walking through the, what, who sinned in his life that he's blind? I'm like, nobody? <laughs> like, so we have to be careful about how we, how we say that, you know. Now, there are things that we might be able to do in our own choice that can change the trajectory of how we experience these things, right? But so like anxiety and depression, if we look at pervasive anxiety and depression in OCD, that you know, we have a 1,700-page diagnostic manual that I have to teach out of sometimes at, at CCU, uh, there are criteria. So if somebody is dealing with depression that's longer than six months, now it might be a you know, general uh, uh, major depressive disorder or anxiety that's over six, eight months it might be general anxiety disorder, right? A lot of times OCD is a result of a traumatic event. And what OCD is, is basically we have uh, obsessions and compulsions. We have these thoughts that take over our mind and then we have things we do to try to mitigate those thoughts, mm. right? And somebody that has been through trauma feels like they have no control. Mm. And so they're doing what they can to make control, so a lot of times OCD is a result of, of trauma, and so it's, it's our attempt to regain control. And let me tell you that there is therapies out there that can help heal those things and provide the tools necessary to maybe not get rid of it completely, but to really uh, decrease the yeah. symptomology. Awesome. All right, next question. Uh, what do you do when you see someone you care about having mental health issues, but they won't acknowledge it or seek help? I, I do this, so let's, let's take this from a parenting perspective. So if you come up to your kid and you're like, what's wrong? What's going on? Why, why, why are you having a problem? Your, your attitude's different. Your behavior's different. You know, we start berating them. How are they going to respond? Like, uh, how do your boys respond when you do that? Dad, um, here's really where my heart is. <laughs> I just want to let you. Okay, yeah. sh share the secret, Dan. That's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Nothing. It's all good. That's, that's, I'm we're, fine. We're fine. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, because it's. But here's what we do. Here's what I encourage you to do. Instead of asking, this is going to keep you from asking somebody how they're doing unless you have the time to sit with them, right? I hate, mm. I hate asking people how you're doing because I, don't, I know that at times I don't have the time to actually want to hear the answer. So if you're going to ask somebody how they're doing and they say fine, but you look in their eyes, right? Eyes are the window to the soul. You look in their eyes and you notice something is wrong. You can say, you know what? I don't believe you. I see you. I'm here for you when you're ready to talk. Okay? Joe, write that down. That's a good. That's really, really so good. So what happens then with my daughters, you know, instead of berating them, I say, hey, I noticed something's off. You're, you've not been yourself today. What's going on? I'm fine. Okay. We have a, a, a big old beanbag upstairs and a, you know, a sectional couch. I'm like, if you want to talk, meet me up there. I'll be up there watching TV. And sometimes it doesn't happen on that time. Sometimes it happens at midnight, and they're like, hey, Dad. Yeah. Like, yeah, what's, what's going on? When you're in bed. Oh, I want to talk. Okay. <laughs> but you'll have, if you do that with yeah. friends too, guys, yeah. it's, it's going to be this. It might be weeks. It might be months. It might be tomorrow. But how often do we see people for who they are and where they're going? Don't let people off the hook if you feel like something's going wrong. 
but don't also chase them down and berate them and tell me what's going on, tell me what's going on. Tell me. No, they're not going to tell you. But if you avail yourself, they'll eventually tell you. That's good. All right, next one. Um, I am concerned uh, devices and social media are affecting my child's mental health. As their parent, what are ways I can help them develop healthy boundaries? Take them away and burn it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> if, it was, if it was only so simple. If it was only so simple. Uh, no, I love this question, and I was tell, talking to the staff yesterday about it. It's not a 2 plus 2 equals 4 formula. Um, I told a joke about it. If it was, I'd be retired on a beach in Barbados someplace. Or, uh, but it's, it's not. It's, it's what is important to your family culture. And I do a lot of work with families and developing a family creed, a family culture around these things. So what's important to you uh, needs to be manifested in how you d- deal with this, right? We can't just say, no phone, no phone, no phone. Oh, you're 18. <laughs> Good luck. That's not going to happen. But if we give them a phone without guidelines or restrictions, I was saying this yesterday, it's like giving somebody a loaded handgun and telling them to be careful. Like, well, there's no training. So think about family culture and think about what's important to you and the responsibility of your kid. Your kid might be 10 and more responsible than somebody's kid that's 19, Right? So look at responsibility of your kid, but don't also take it for granted. So one of the things I do with a lot of families is go, okay, follow your kids on social media. Don't comment, because that's a little bit, like, weird. Um, But follow them on social media so you're up on what's going on, and then have a family meeting once or twice a week when you take their phone, because their phone shouldn't be next to their bed at nighttime, because that's called blue lighting, and blue lighting keeps them awake, and it keeps them out of a, a sleep cycle that's good. And if they don't sleep... We know that if somebody doesn't hit their REM cycle at least twice a night uh, over a period of time, they begin to display signs of insanity, mm. which is why coming alongside moms that have babies is so important, right? Because postpartum depression is real, and it makes you feel like you're going crazy. Yes. Same thing happens to our kids if they don't get sleep. So whatever your family culture looks like, at our house, um, our, my phone goes on do not disturb at 7. My wife does. We, don't, we pick them up the next morning. Um, we're just now getting my daughter a phone. She's 13 because she's not really had any desire to have one, and now she's going to start babysitting, so she needs one. So we're getting something called a Gab, G-A-B-B phone. That's a preloaded software phone that has a couple apps and then phone numbers in it, and it's going to be utilized as a phone. And then we'll slowly introduce different things. But she has no desire for social media either. Um, but if you have kids that do, then sit down over like a Wednesday night and a Friday night or a Wednesday night and a Sunday night and go, hey, just tell me what's going on in your life. Let's go through your social media and tell me about this friend and that friend and what's going on here. Two things happen. One, you already know what's going on because you've been following them. So if anything gets deleted, you'd be like, okay, I saw you post something the other day. What was that about? It's not there anymore. Um, and then two, you begin to, to see the potential for abuse and bullying that's going on in social media because it's so subversive right now. And we see a lot of mental health issues come more from social media. We were talking about this yesterday that the suicide rate in our country is continuing to climb despite the increase in mental health access. And a lot of it is because of this. I can go on <laughs> forever. <laughs> on that one. Uh, he showed us a video yesterday. I don't know if you've seen the documentary. It's actually from a number of years, about, about five, five, years, five ago. years ago, yeah. called Hashtag Being 13. Um, if you haven't checked it out and you have teenagers, Hashtag Being 13. You can look it up on YouTube. Yep. It, yep. Was a, um, it was a documentary done. Um, By CNN. By CNN in regards to um, how social media posts, yeah, just and social media and, and bullying and all that that comes with all of that. So yep. really, really good. Um, so conversation seems like a big part of that. You just yeah, need to be really having really constant conversations yeah. with your children. Yep. Um, which gotta, is discipleship. Which is discipleship. That's exactly right. And I would even say I would I would even go to this. Probably your, each of your children, based off of their past personalities and maturity, also determines their access that you give yeah. them to. Yeah, devices, don't, don't say when you're devices. 16 you're going to get a phone. Don't, don't promise that. It might be 13, but then your second child, it might be like 22. <laughs> like, like, you know. Sorry, Judah. Yeah. 23. Um, so. <laughs> All right, let's, let's keep going. We've got some good ones here. Um, what advice do you, I'm going to read from the screen. What advice do you have in dealing with people who don't understand mental illness and how can you help people understand what you're going through instead of them just telling you, just let it go? Yeah. I hate that song. Yeah, me too. Uh, me too. I had, 
So I have two girls, and 13 and 8, and then uh, about 13 months ago was gifted a son. So I'm looking forward to when he gets to be older and we can watch like Marvel movies and stuff and not uh, like Frozen. And, you yeah, know, I get it. Well, I get it. Uh, it's coming. There's things that I sing in my head in my dream that I, yeah, no. <laughs> I need some. I need some therapy. I need some therapy. Come to our house. Yeah. Um, no, I, this is interesting. It goes back to the stigma piece, right? It goes back to um, our understanding. And so, when somebody doesn't understand it, don't be quick to judge. Ask questions, right? Because you think about generations, parts of the country that we were raised, how we viewed emotions, mental health, that kind of stuff. It may be hard to go there, and so instead of going there, we just we. Let's not talk about it, right? So instead of being like, you were, you know, why don't you, just ask questions. Tell me what it was like growing up in your household. You know, if you had a, you know, a dad that was like, you know, don't show an emotion. If you're crying, why are you crying? You know, I'll give you something to cry about, you know, whatever. You know, and, and that's how we've internalized it and how we've engaged in this conversation. Guys, science is finally catching up to the Bible. Come on. Um, and we know that from a, uh, spec scan, fMRI scan, brain scan, and that kind of stuff, that our mental health affects our physical body in similar ways that physical health does, yep. right? So uh, one, one model is the inflammation model. Uh, one model that I'm studying right now is that most mental illness is just inflammation of the body in different places. In the gut, right, what we eat is how we, f- I mean, to be honest, is directly co- correlated to what, how we feel. But... Um, Inflammation is a direct correlative to depression now. We see that and how it, I'm going to get into some nitty-gritty, but it it actually bypasses what we call the blood-brain barrier, and it affects the brain in in inflammatory ways. The blood-brain barrier actually is God's design to keep our brain free of toxins and free of drugs so that when we hit, our brain fully develops now, thanks to social media, our brain fully develops around 27 to 29 where it used to be 21 to 23, but we have delayed development now because of social media and screen time. But when the brain fully develops at 27, 29, it actually forms what we call uh, the blood-brain barrier. It's like a, almost like a, a tarp consistency over our brain. So it keeps things from penetrating the brain, which is why it's so important to protect our kids from things between the ages of 8 and, and 19, 8 and 21. Um, I was telling everybody last night or yesterday that science shows that only... 1%, less than 1% of people will become addicted to a substance or something after the age of 21. Most addiction happens between 10 and 18. Okay? So the brain's growth and development is so strong. So when we have conversations with people, just I, I, you know, read up on some things. It's all scientific. It's all physiological. It's all, we can trace it back. Now, mindset has a lot to do with that, though. Yeah. So I'll say that, yeah, maybe I have depression, but if I think depression is what is controlling me, my master then I'm going to think that way, and my mindset's going to make it worse, right? But if I go, you know what, I've got anxiety, I've got depression, I'm struggling with bipolar one or two, and I'm not going to let it be my master. Yeah. I still might have it. I still might struggle with it, but it's not going to control me. Yeah. Make sense? It's yes. good. All right, next one. Um, for years, there has been a stigma on men talking about their mental health, uh, especially for men in the military. So what can we do to help those struggling with PTSD? PTSD is a, is, a, is a nasty animal. And it doesn't just affect people in combat. It affects anybody that's gone through trauma. Shame actually, shame and neglect create PTSD-type symptoms as well. A great book, if you want to read a great book, is uh, The Soul of Shame um, by Dr. Kurt Thompson. is a fantastic book that kind of unpacks that a little bit. It actually would be a good group, uh, life okay. group you know, book that you can go through. Uh, but um, it goes back to, I think, what I said earlier about somebody that doesn't want to deal or recognize that they're struggling. I think a lot of times when people are struggling with PTSD, it's let them know that you see what's going on and you're available to draw them out. And a lot of times just having them tell story. The minute that, so when the, when the brain turns off in trauma, it turns the Barocas region off of the brain that forms and develops language. And our goal by sitting with people is help to re-engage that, to put story and language to what has happened to them. Now, obviously, with PTSD, you're going to want a team of people. So you can be a good spiritual advisor, a spiritual friend. But somebody with PTSD, you're going to need to find a, a, either a mental health coach or a Christian counselor or somebody that can walk with them through that. 
because unpacking those layers could create more triggers. So it's something that needs to be done in a team. But I cannot tell you, I, I'm an EMDR uh, certified trained therapist and a narrative therapist, and I cannot tell you how many times the Holy Spirit has shown up in session mm -hmm. helping people, what mm -hmm. I call, digest their emotional traumas to just be memory. And it, it, it heals the PTSD. It's beautiful. But again, if we are, especially in the military, if you're in a culture of, like, you cannot feel. Like, I've, I've had friends that have been in the military that said, you know what? Bad things have happened to me. And when I was in my platoon or my, you know, my squad or whatever, I could not feel. Because if I felt, I would be putting myself in danger and everybody else in danger because I had to make it through the next mission. Mm -hmm. So we're training these men and women to really... Uh, push through and, and ignore and numb, and then we get out of the military and we don't provide a whole lot of resources for them to begin to heal and process. So that's the beauty of this, this conversation in the church. If you've got people in your life that you know have been through hard things, let them know that you know and that you're available and begin to help figure out this navigation because we can find relief this side of heaven. I believe it. Amen. That's good. That's good. All right, another one. Um, is it better to numb for a season versus writing out the emotions? And then from a Christian point of view, should mood altering drugs and antidepressants be used long term? So that's maybe a, they, a, they can kind of go hand in hand a little question. bit. Uh, first question, no. No to no. which one? No, no numbing. Okay. No, because here's the thing. God designed us in the Imago Dei, the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in that relationship, they feel, right? You know, Jesus incarnate experienced, God incarnate experienced all the emotions. That's why I want you to get out of your vocabulary that there are good emotions and bad emotions. They're not. They're just emotions. They're indicators, right? And here's what I'm going to tell you. You will not grow. You will not become stronger. You will not develop grit and resiliency unless you sit with those emotions, don't try to numb them. Don't try to push them off. You know, obviously, if you've never done that, okay, let's, let's like peel back the layers slowly. We don't want to just rip off the Band-Aid or, you know, totally cut the onion in half. Like, start slow. Do it with somebody. But when we sit with the tension, if you think about a rubber band, right? If you snapped a rubber band completely open, it would break, right? But if you pull it slowly, you could pull it pretty far, and it sits, you sit with that tension until you... You know, and then if you keep on doing that, yeah. after a while, the rubber band, you can pull it as far as you want and it's not going to break. Mm -hmm. So we need to learn to sit with the tension of things that are difficult. And if we numb them out, what we're doing is we're pushing them down like a pressure cooker. And eventually they're going to come out someplace. They will. Whether it be yelling at your kid, hitting your wife, whatever it might be, that it's like it's going to come out someplace. Now, mood altering, psychoactive drugs, um, I am definitely not a medication first person. Uh, I am a medication as a tool person. Um, so I look at food as medicine. I look at exercise as medicine, sleep as medicine, uh, counseling as medicine, uh, church group, life group, family, medicine, all that kind of stuff. And there are, are people that have such severe, the, you know, like go back to the fall, the DNA piece, that have such severe stuff going on that the only way that they can thrive or even survive is through medication. And so we cannot look down on people that are in that piece. Now, if we have friends that are on that or we have family that are on that, you know, it might be good to get a second opinion. It might be good to go explore, you know, man, if you're eating Twinkies and Mountain Dew in the morning and breakfast, you know, it might not be helpful with your, you know, your, you know, the energy drink. That might not be helpful with your mental health. But if they're eating, you know, if they're trying their best to eat a healthy diet and they're getting sleep and that's still not quite enough to get them to, like, equilibrium, yeah, medication is going to be a great way to, to maintain that um, and, and, and long-term, you know, and long-term. And it's not that they have a, a deficit. Yeah. It's just it's what they need. Yeah, that's good. All right, uh, this one's not on the screen. I'm going to just, just thought of this one because we're going to have to come to an end. We'll, we'll finish out some more for the next service. But um, what would you say are great resources for people to check into if they want to grow? Like everybody mm -hmm. here, like, I want to get better at Anybody here want to get better at this? I just want to get, I want to get better. I know yeah. I want to get better. Yeah. I've, I've not done a good enough job, uh, especially we're talking about just sitting with people. And, yeah. you know, we're, I think we have people, we have a culture that's a fast, quick fix. Yep. We want to like, 
can I do two sessions and be done? Yep. Like, can I just get, can I get over it? And realizing that some of this is, is months and years journey. Us as a people that want to help those that were hurt, that are hurting, whether that's our child, a family member or friend, um, we want to kind of do it quick because I don't want to be, and so it's, there's a patient game within this. Um, and so we all want to get better at any resources, any books, any podcasts, any videos, any websites, yeah. anything that you like, man, I think if there's people in here that like, I just want to get better. I yep. want to self feed, self grow. Yep. What would you recommend? So a couple of things I, I think make, you know, so this stuff needs to be for your consumption because I, I, I've I told everybody a lot yesterday that when you become emotionally, mentally, and physically healthy, you're going to be better equipped to help others. So make sure you look inward first. And it might be some, you know, not like you have to look inward and take care of all of it first. Look inward and be aware of it and be working on it so that you're equipped to help somebody else. So, um, you know, um, gosh, American Association of Christian Counselors has a great resource. It's a, a certified mental health coach that you can take a training on. Um, and I'm not sure how much it is. I'm actually going out there tomorrow in Virginia, so I can ask if there's a discount for the church. Maybe you guys can get it. We can get it for, for all y'all. But it basically is just a, kind of a, a deeper ver- version of what we did yesterday, a longer version. Um, uh, my website, drmayfield.com, drmayfield.com, has resources on it. Uh, the Mayfield Collective is a resource that we created that I'll get you a code for that has a bunch of videos of just trainings and things that you can look at for between sessions. Um, Anything by Dr. Kurt Thompson is going to be amazing. Anything by Dr. Daniel Amen is going to be great. Anything by Dr. Daniel Siegel is going to be amazing. Um, and if you kind of stay within that, then you can begin to go, okay, you know, look at, you know, when I, when I read a book, I always look at who their resources were, yeah. and I highlight things that are interesting to me so you can get more and more resources from, from those things as well. And all those books you can get on Audible. I like listening to what I'm driving. I like putting a book on Audible. And having it read to me sometimes is a lot nicer than trying to sit down and find time to read it myself. Um, Podcasts, gosh, there are a lot out there. Uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson's got a good one. There's one, uh, we had one for a while called The Therapist Invitation that's still out on on iTunes. Uh, Candid Conversations with with me uh, was another one. Uh, not with me, with Dr. Mayfield. Candid or candid? Can- candy conversation. Can- candid. Candid, okay. Candid conversation. Gotcha. Um, but also you can email me. Uh, uh, my email is real easy. It's dr.mark.mayfield at gmail.com. So if you want more resources, uh, just ask Pastor Josh, and you can hand that out as well. Um, yeah, so. and we'll, if, for those that are like, oh, man, I can't write all this down, we'll, uh, we'll accumulate all this, and then we'll send this yeah. out in an in a email yeah. format. Or-